0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to an encore episode of Movie Go Round. For those new to the show, reruns are not something we like to make a habit of, but between the start of a new school year for Teacher David and an extraordinary turn of bad luck for Brett, I figured it was better to bring you an older episode that you may have missed, rather than keep you waiting. So we will be back next week with a brand new episode discussing Park Chanu's The Handmaiden. Looking a little further into our future, with October comes Movie Ghoul Round, where we tackle a horror film for each of our five themes. There are five Mondays in October. We'll be releasing a new movie discussion every Monday, culminating with a You Did This To Us episode on Monday, October 31st, Halloween. Now, with the following being an older episode, episode eight, in fact. Uh, Our sound equipment wasn't as good as it is now. We've all upgraded since then. So if there's a little room tone or reverb, I hope you will forgive us. With that said, I'm delighted to share with you our discussion of The Great Beauty.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Joining me as always... My name is Brett Stewart, but my two wonderful co-hosts, including one that picked the the movie this week, and it's a fascinating movie. I'm excited to discuss it, even if I don't know if I fully understood the movie. Uh, But Nicole Davis, how are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm on the verge of getting sick, but I'm going to power through to see if we can't have a good discussion today.
1: I think we will. This is an easy film to discuss because there's so much at play in this film. I mean, it's almost two hours long or just over that. Uh, David Luzader, how are you?
2: I am doing well. Yeah, I guess that's about it. That's uh, nothing, nothing witty at the top of my intro today. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, well, the film that we watched again this week's theme is future classics. That means that the one, of, one of us three, and it rotates every single uh, cycle, gets to pick a film. In this case, it was Nicole. And they get to argue that the film that week is a future classic. That means it's come out in about the last decade or so, and they believe that moving many decades forward, people are going to look back on it as a hallmark of cinema in some capacity. I'm going to go ahead and introduce this film, and then I'm going to pass it right on over to Nicole to have an explanation about why we watch the film, and more importantly, why she thinks it's going to be a future classic. This film is called The Great Beauty. It came out in 2013. An aging journalist has charmed and seduced his way through the lavish nightlife of Rome for decades. Since the legendary success of his one and only novel, he has been a permanent fixture in the city's literary and social circles. When his 65th birthday coincides with a shock from the past, he finds himself unexpectedly taking stock of his life, turning his cutting wit on himself and his contemporaries and looking past the extravagant nightclubs, parties, and cafes to find Rome in all of its glory, a timeless landscape of absurd, exquisite beauty. This was a film, again, picked by Nicole, a future classic. Why?
0: Well, (laughs) it's... Difficult to put into words, but I will try. Number one, this, I believe, is going to be a timeless film, partly because of the setting. Yeah, it's Rome. It's an ancient city. There are things that have been there for thousands of years and will probably be standing for thousands more. It's more about ideas and concepts than it is about a straight narrative story. The performances are excellent, particularly Tony Servillo as Jeff Gambardella. He's, it's something that's, is so full of life and he's so much is conveyed through just a quirk of an eyebrow or the twist of his mouth or just the, you know, the cast of his facial expression conveys so much before he even opens his mouth to speak. This movie is almost transcendently beautiful visually. It is a tour de force really from the cinematographer who is Luca Bigazzi, who keeps the light sources moving for most of the shots. The camera rarely stops moving as well. And I think it's just visually stunning and lastly, while this is the part of the film that I think is going to date it a great deal uh, over time, the music, I think, is absolutely beautiful. They make some wonderful, interesting choices between classical pieces, uh, music composed purely for the film by Lele Bartitelli, and some contemporary songs. There's some pop hits for uh, things that were pop hits in Italy anyway. And it's just overall, I mean, I saw this movie in the theater and was just sort of swept away by it, got caught up in it, just living these little vignettes and seeing what this movie has to say about life and how people choose to spend their time and where they can find beauty in the world when they feel like they've seen it all and have been, you know, mired in cynicism for decades. And I was just, uh, I was blown away by it. I wanted to share this with you guys. I understand that not everyone is going to love this movie. And that's something that I have to try to make my peace with. But... I do think that this film is going to stand the test of time.
1: That's a compelling argument for this. I'm very excited to talk about this film. And I do want to mention, of course, at the top of the program, I should have mentioned it earlier, next week's film, if you'd like to follow along.
0: Next week, we'll be around the world, and we will be watching the Korean film, 2016's The Handmaiden.
1: But to get back to The Great Beauty, first of all, I'd like to pass this off to David, David and just kind of get his overarching response to seeing something like this. I, You hadn't seen it before, correct? No, I had not. And um, what do you think of it?
2: This is a good movie. I do want to say that, like, just kind of blanket. it. I think that the way this movie is going to be a classic is that it will be studied and shown in an auteur sense. Uh, it'll be shown in film schools. I don't think it's going to be a classic in the sense of, I'm going to have some friends over later and we're going to watch the great beauty. (laughs) Uh, It it falls into a different category of what is going to be a classical. I don't want to get into everything here, but just sort of some general thoughts. This movie really does take its time for better or for worse there's there's times where i think it's 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 really a benefit that the movie slows down and there's also some points where i feel like it drags on a little bit it is a movie where not i don't want to say stuff doesn't happen but it's like it's not an action driven film there are just scenes of this where the main character is wandering on the streets of rome at night being melancholy and, and sad. It's not a film that I think everybody is going to enjoy necessarily, but I it's a film that has immense merit and I think will absolutely, as I said, be studied by future filmmakers and will be seen as an
1: influence. Very good. I would have to say I align in a similar-ish camp, maybe more toward the end of not really getting it. I have plenty of film student friends uh, back when I went to Columbia that I'm sure would love this movie. It is visually arresting at times. I rented it in HD, and I found myself regretting that because there are shots in this film at the parties and and when he's roaming the streets that it's just absolutely stunning. And also the... Did you mean that you rented it in S.D.? I rent. I rented an nasty. Yeah.
2: Okay. You said HD. Like I <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I should sentiment. have rented
1: it. I should have rented in HD. Is what I'm getting at. Uh, and yeah. I mean, there's shots where the the CGI animals as kind of CGI as they look. There's something really like surreal about their presence and the two scenes that they're in, and it's really beautiful. And uh, I think, for me, if I was to respond to the argument that this is a future classic, I would say that similar to David, this is a film that's going to be in film schools, both for storytelling, because it tells its story in a very unique way, and for visuals. Uh, As Nicole said, the camera's constantly moving. It constantly has those panning shots. There's always a moving light source. It is um, a stunning film to look at. For me, I was happy that it wasn't a man walking through the street having actual flashbacks, because when I read the description i thought it was gonna be like oh walking down the street sees a tree and then he has a flashback to how he picked the apple off that tree with the girl that he married and he knew her since she was five years old and now i'm just recounting forrest gump and like i was worried that i was gonna get in that place with this and i'm happy that the flashbacks if you even want to call them that are incredibly sparse and there's it's really only, like yes. one scene that he's flashing back to and it works that works But but what gets me about this film is that there is something too hedonistic about it to an extent for me. There's something where I'm spending too much time watching him wander around Euro trash parties and (laughs) listening to garbage music and contemplating the merits of literature that no one has read. And he openly admits that no one's read his and no one has read the person he's arguing with. And I'm like, have any of these people ever paid a phone bill? It's like really rich white people are void of any true meaning in their life and are just kind of bored at life and they're trying to find it.
2: it. It's really interesting that there are these scenes where it is these people who don't worry about money to see what they discuss but of course it's all this like high political thought and and this is the only country where marxism ever really works and here's my struggles as like as a mother blah blah. blah. but then like during the day they don't do anything i mean you know one of them one of them is a publisher but like the main character wrote a book 40, 40 years, years ago and yeah and is now just the king of of the social life and they do a really good job of like not glorifying those conversations. I love that they have that scene where he is talking to the the one woman. I don't remember oh, yes. any character's names. And he's...
0: Stefania.
2: Yeah, Stefania. And he's just laying Best out... Seen in the movie. Here's how you're full of shit. Uh, and it's a, it's a really great scene. And it was also... Yeah. That scene, uh, along with one that I really like, the one that I really loved in the beginning of the film, when he goes to this... Performance art piece. Oh, (laughs) and the girl runs and hits her head on a wall. And he's interviewing her later, and she she starts off being like, "I'm an artist. I feel the world in vibrations." And he starts pushing her on the stuff that she's saying, to the point where she admits she doesn't know what she's saying. (laughs) And I love because like this film, when it started, I thought, for lack of a better term here, it was going to be a little bit masturbatory. It was just going to be reveling in its own greatness. But like that scene very early on showed me like, okay, no, they're very hyper aware of artists, art for art's sake. And, and I, you know, what I do is what I do because I refer to myself as a third person because I'm an artist. And then just kind of holding up a mirror and being like, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? Won me over in this film fairly early on. And when this movie starts it's just these it's these beautiful shots uh, in rome but then it's 10 minutes before we see the main character it's 10 minutes before anybody in this film has a name and i thought up until that point just how the film was kind of going to be was like but as you said it's kind of like him wandering around the euro trash parties like <laughs> i thought it was going to be more extension of that uh, but there's a lot of quiet contemplation that i think really works in this movie
1: absolutely and uh, the lead I think is as Nicole said exceptionally well performed that is oh, one absolutely. thing I will give this movie in spades is that when he's talking to that artist and he's trying to explain to her you know I have a cultured audience people understand <laughs> art so you can't just yes. tell us that you have vibrations you need to tell us what that means right. and I'm just thinking like oh my god if I have been through this like have I been through <laughs> this interviewing independent artists for, for the work I've done in the past and they're just like you know it just speaks to me like, yeah. What does that mean? What about it speaks to you? Right. Like, I just look in color. Like, like I get you get that a lot. So I mean, oh, I what? appreciated. Oh, who says that? I, I Lord says that. I was listening to WTF earlier, and she said that, and I'm like, oh no. But in any case, I felt for him in that moment. That's actually one of my, in my opinion, like his most interesting persona in this movie is this kind of cynical journalist that he obviously it's like, he does really good work, but you don't think he's entirely passionate about it. I don't know. Oh, ab-
2: absolutely not. They point out early on. He said, I wanted to be the King of the social life. I wanted the power to ruin a party. And he has that power. And it's while he's walking along that river and just nothing about his, the way he's walking or his expression says like, I'm happy with where I'm at in life. He's like, I got what I wanted
1: and it sucks. <laughs> what do you think, Nicole?
0: I mean, I I agree with most of what you're saying already. You know, this is this is about rich white people who have mostly mostly believe that they have made their lives about art, various kinds of art for the most part, and being social, you know, with these tremendous parties. And I mean, it's vulgar in its excess at these parties that he goes to. And it's this tremendous contrast with the beauty of Rome. I mean, just the architecture of the city and the stonework and just these little beautiful fountains everywhere and all these things tucked away into corners that they go exploring. And, you know, it's, I think he's, realizing you know the summary that you read at the beginning brett is very accurate in what causes jeff to sort of begin this he's a little bit on a journey he feels like his first love has died shortly after his 65th birthday so he's kind of feeling death approaching it might be a couple decades off still but he's It's like he's starting to see it coming and he's taking stock of his life and reassessing what he does and who he sees and coming to decisions like, I've decided that I don't want to waste time doing things I don't want to do anymore. And so right before this woman he's just slept with is about to show him all her Facebook pictures, he walks out of her apartment (laughs) and heads home. You know, and it's about him trying to find his footing again and finding what's real because he's been so detached for so long. He's been part of these parties, but he's also been an observer of them for such a long time that it's the impression that I have is that it's rare for him to feel like he's feeling a true emotion. There's always this layer of separation between him and the real feeling. And I think he's discovering in these get togethers with his friends and he's watching them and he's watching himself, you know, he's, he's being honest about himself as well. And it's taking stock of, is this where we want things to go? And he's starting to try to puncture the illusions that they've been living in under a bit. And I mean, that's why he takes his friend, Stefania apart. This conversation, which is one of the, very best scenes in the movie you know he and his friends with late nights the end of the party they've all been drinking these are friends that have clearly gotten together dozens maybe hundreds of times over the years and they've probably had the same conversation many times Mm -hmm. before and stefa launches into this practiced righteous spiel about how she's breaking her back because she's trying to be a mother and she's trying to be a good wife and yet she's trying to be you know someone of of substance and she used to write back in college you know she wrote for the party and finally jeff starts to call her on it and he's she's like no i you know i would like to know she she asks him I, I think she asks him what's wrong with what she's saying so, or what's so not accurate. Oh, no, what her fragility is.
1: Fragility, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: because he says that you don't want to know the truths about your fragility and she's like, no, tell me. And he just takes her to pieces. And it, absolutely there shreds her.
2: There doesn't feel anything exactly malicious no. in, in the way that he says it. He's just saying, like, here is sort of the truth of it. And... In your head, obviously you've built this stuff up in a certain way. but here's really like here's kind of the objective view on it. Yeah, he never like says like, well, your work is absolute you know absolute crap and, and no one actually like wants to read it. It's like, you know, you, you did publish those things, but it was published because it was tied to the party and it was only reviewed you know by the party and you wrote about the party because you were the leader of the party's mistress that vague party that they referred to it was just like here's really you've done these things but they're not as great as you think they are yeah you're you're a mother and and a a wife but you have a maid and a butler and you have babysitters and nannies and yeah it's kind of that, that question i think brett you asked earlier have any of these people ever paid a phone bill no they have someone else paying a phone bill for them
1: and there's a there's a point in that David brings up you know very well that that he is not tearing her down because toward the end of this tear down, for lack of a better word, uh, he says yeah, and you know what people might not have read my book, you know my books might not be much better than yours, but we are both and all of us collectively at this party are wallowing in the same existential midlife crisis, you know essentially is what he's saying, and like that and that they are all searching for some sort of meaning that they don't know how to find.
2: A scene that really resonated with me later on in the film is when Jeff wanders into where that giraffe is with the magician <laughs> and uh, his friend Romano shows up and says, I'm going back to my hometown. I'm not going to pack. I'm not doing any sort of big thing. I'm not having a party. I'm just leaving right now and I'm going home. It is, it's really kind of the culmination of, uh, you know, everything that's been going on with, with all of them. He's like, I've been here for 40 years And it's not what I thought it was going to be. And he's like, he's jaded. He's done. It's uh, he feels like he's wasted too much time and he just leaves. And, you know, he spent so much time trying to make Rome this thing that it's, it hasn't been for him that the only place he has to go is his hometown. I mean, he's in his sixties and he has to go start over because he doesn't know anything else.
1: I'm so happy right. you brought up uh, Romano, because um, he was the same person that I was going to next, is that there? there is a parallel between Jep and Romano, because uh, Romano, and I think played wonderfully by, what, Carlo Verdone? Yes.
0: He's,
1: he's terrific. He's, he's, he's a like,
0: celebrated comic actor. He's like Italy. my favorite
1: character in the movie, um, because there's something so comedically tragic about his character that ends as David described, because the entire time he's he's trying to be a writer and he really wants to be a writer like his friend Jep, but you know Jep kind of criticizes him and says, "Oh, well, just write your own thing. Don't adapt to other people's work," which is what he was trying to do. And he's he's following around this you know twenty-something model actress director lady where she's casually smoking. There's a lot of casual like artistic smoking into the camera in this movie where she's You're standing outside trash. at one point and she's like, "I think I'll direct a film next." And he's just trying to impress her. And he seems like a nice enough guy. She wants nothing to do with him. She's clearly just utilizing him. There's one point where he has to drop her off at the airport in a couple hours and she makes him drive home. (laughs) And you just feel for Romano in this movie. And he, to me, is like what Jep would be if Jep cared. If Jep was still trying to make Rome what he wanted it to be and still cared about his artistic endeavors... Uh, I think he would be something like Romano because there's a moment in the movie right before the draft scene where Romano is finally performing whatever piece of work he was working on. And to me, it wasn't really clear whether or not it was something entirely original or adapted. I think it was original. Maybe he took Jeff's advice. And people clap for him and the aforementioned bimbo model is sitting there on her phone and not paying any attention. And there's this really empty look on his face where he just that adoration of even getting a couple people to clap at this thing just wasn't what he was looking for and maybe they didn't really appreciate it in a way that he thought they would maybe he thought that that adoration was empty in some facet and that's just where he was like the most interesting character to me because you you just saw him more openly than you saw jeff Jep is more enclosed and more guised in his own you know internal strife with himself and i thought i felt like romano was more open about it and he's a really interesting character character to me i liked him a lot
0: i think romano is he's one of the more genuine characters in the movie he's the one who isn't holding himself at a distance from his life it's like yeah he's struggling and he realizes he's not as talented as his friend and he's not sure what he should write about, and if his life is worth writing about. I I get the impression that his theater piece is partly autobiographical. Yeah. But he's putting his heart and soul into it. And that's the biggest difference between him and his friends. You know, Romano may not be as talented, but he's putting his heart in it. You know, he's putting himself... Out there, And it's scary. And it turns out to not give him the the fulfillment that he was looking for all this time. And he's, I think he's disillusioned by that. And it's, he's like, you know what, it's, I'm done. It's time to go home. This isn't what I thought it was. This isn't the beautiful life that I was searching for. And I think he decides to go home because that's, that's where he thinks he has a chance at happiness.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy you brought up genuine. That's what I was dancing around, is I feel like Romano is the only character in this movie who actually pays the phone bill. I think Ramona
0: probably pays the phone bill. Oh, yeah,
1: and Ramona. And Ramona. (laughs) And and I I think that you hit the nail on the head. The reason I like him in this movie is because he has his heart on the line for this stuff, and he's going hard, and he knows he's maybe not as talented as these other people. And the city kind of just kills him for it. And it's not just because maybe his work isn't all that great. It seems to be more because the city is just devoid of its appreciation for culture that it might have previously had. And that, I think, is one of the themes potentially in this movie is that, you know, Rome has all this beautiful, archaic stuff all around it. And this specific culture is just bogged down in these Euro trash parties to realize the beauty around them, perhaps. I don't know.
0: I own the Criterion Uh, version of this disc. And there's an interview with Tony Servillo. And he says, I I wrote this down because I didn't want to miss it. Uh, He says, I think Mario Soldati, who's another Italian director and writer, said that when you truly encounter beauty, you lose it at that very same moment. It's that feeling of encounter and loss that this city conveys constantly. And if we succeeded in communicating that feeling through this character and the way Paolo filmed Rome, perhaps we conveyed something about this city.
1: Interesting. Okay, so maybe I'm kind of in the ballpark then. David, you had something? (laughs) Because you were kind of saying like the
2: city doesn't have the appreciation that it once did. I think a little bit of that, too, is aging.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, that's obviously a major theme in this. There are two quotes from The Simpsons that I think tie very clearly. Uh, One being Principal Skinner at some point saying, do I just not understand? No, it's the children that are wrong. (laughs) And then uh, one from Grandpa Simpson, where I used to be with it, and then they changed what it was. And now it's scary and weird. And one day it'll happen to you. There's the scene where Jeff is talking to the uh, heroin addict who runs this, Geezy bar, <laughs> and they're talking about how like, ah, oh, the strippers these days aren't classy, they're all these Polish girls, and you know back in our day we had the classy strippers, and, and keep in mind he's remarking on
1: this as his daughter strips in front of him, let that not go awry here <laughs>
2: yeah, well, and all I can think is like in forty years when the next version of these guys are sitting down talking and being like, Oh, we used to have the Polish women who really knew how to strip. And now, you know, these robots don't, they don't dance with life. Like, that's just kind of the continuing cycle of things changed and yes. it's not what they knew. Therefore, it is bad or wrong.
1: It's like, no, it's just evolved. And you get the impression that, and not the impression, I think outright tells you throughout most of the movie that Jeff and most of his friends, Romano included, if not all of his friends, seem to be lifetime or near-lifetime occupants of the city and their jaded outlook at life and maybe the city's beauty is somewhat, you know, hindered by that is because he's been there so long. Because there's shots. One of my favorite shots in the movie is, first of all, how come there are just, like, so many really nice patios everywhere that they're always (laughs) lounging on and all, like, everywhere? Like, they'll just walk away from a party and they're on, like, a beautiful patio and smoking. But there's a shot where... And this kind of is, like, quintessentially his character in the movie. He's, like, sitting slowly and, like, reminiscing and smoking. He gets up, and he starts walking to the opposite side of the of the rooftop patio. And it just pans, and, like, there's the Colosseum. It's, like, right next door. And he's just paying really no close attention to it. And then he just, like, gets to the, to the other end of the patio, takes another long drag, and then just sits back down. <laughs> and it's such an uneventful scene, but it conveyed a lot to me, because he didn't even notice that this wonder of the world is right next to him. And that was powerful to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, there's so much. It's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this movie. I mean, there's the director, Paolo Sorrentino, said that one of his inspirations for this movie was Gustave Flaubert's famous statement that he intended to write a novel about nothing. And Sorrentino says, you know, by nothing he meant the rumors and the gossip, the thousand ways we have of wasting time, the things that irritate us or delight us, but that are so short-lived that they make us doubt the meaning of life. That nothing makes up many people's entire lives. And, Mm. you know, so there's these things that you know, we do all these tasks and see these things every day and they are nothing of great import. They're just how we spend our time. Paolo Sorrentino, the director, also said that uh, the great thing about life, the fact that you can be surprised by something that you had decided was vulgar and wretched, and then suddenly what is vulgar and wretched reveals its own entirely unexpected grace.
1: And so it's...
0: Jepp is... I think he's starting to see... These moments of grace in these, you know, these vulgar parties and get togethers and things just little bits at a time. And these walks home at dawn, he's reconnecting with the beauty of the city every morning on his way home. And almost every day he speaks to his housekeeper, who's another one of the more genuine characters in this movie. Mm-hmm.
1: She's probably the um, one paying the phone bill. Let's be, let's be real.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, these people are very cynical and searching for meaning and some of it, I think some of it may be right in front of them, you know, there can be meaning found in everyday life, there can be meaning found in small things, it doesn't always have to be these great accomplishments that everyone recognizes, sometimes it's just little things that bring us joy and that give meaning, not just our lives, but to other people's, you know, you can go through your day and just being kind to a stranger for two minutes can brighten their entire day. And then they go home and they're nicer to their family and it can sort of spread that way. Just, you know, we have effects on other people's lives that we, you know, sometimes it's nothing and sometimes it it can be profound without us even intending it to. You know, we can have meaning without even realizing it. And I think it's a great thing to see in this movie, that understanding kind of emerging, that it doesn't have to be, you know, this tremendous, great...
2: The great beauty.
0: The great (laughs) beauty, right. It doesn't have to be... He's searching for the great beauty beauty. before he writes this next novel and he's realizing that it's... It's everywhere. It's just sort of scattered into little yeah. It's, corners. Yeah.
2: It's, it's connecting in, in like these, in these small moments kind of, as, as you said, like that, that, that sort of thing we mentioned earlier, like the second you experience beauty, you lose it. And, you know, probably came to Rome and you experience all this beauty and then you're there for a few decades. And it's just, you know, kind of like, yeah, like as mentioned, like, yeah, there's the Colosseum, there's these statues, uh, and buildings that have been here for uh, hundreds of years that were beautifully and one masterfully crafted. And they just kind of become the background, the backdrop that he's just living his life against. And th- there's sort of a thing of also reconnecting with your past and remembering when you experienced beauty for the first time helps you reconnect with it. There's a, a lot in this movie yeah that, that just that just kind of comes through in the reflection upon what you watched and in sort of the dissection of it you know what what did, one day i'll be reflecting on the beauty i experienced when i first watched this film after accidentally hitting purchase instead of rent <laughs> in the iTunes yeah. store
1: here's here's the real question of the episode though are you going to dispute the purchase already have <laughs> <laughs>
2: not, not that like not that i don't think this movie is not worth owning I think $20 for digital copy is bananas <laughs> uh, and two I haven't spent $20 on any movie in a very long time
1: I think it's so it's also have, fair to argue you couldn't watch this film like that often
2: I don't mm, know yeah I, I wouldn't want to and not like not in like a bad way to say like oh it's a ba- I don't want to watch it off because it's like it's not a good film it's it's a movie that kind of has now that I've seen it and it's in my my memory and in my feelings, It's there will be certain moods that will come up where I'll be like, yeah, this is a movie that I could watch today. But it's not, for me, one of the ultimately digestible films, like the Bourne movies that I can watch at any point. And I loved when I had HBO because there was always one on, and I would just turn it on and be like, I'm in. This actually – so this kind of is a nice segue –
0: for the an idea movies? that I
2: kind of want to do... That I thought of with okay. this film, wanted to express is the idea of a movie versus a film. And kind of the best way to... It sounds very... Um, pretentious? Uh, pretentious, to say it that way. <laughs> and it kind of is a pretentious concept. But I let me explain. There was this album that came out by Ben Folds 5 called The Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner, which is a very interesting album. And... Ben Folds Five reunited almost 10 years ago at this point and played from beginning to end that album at a concert. And there's a few recordings of it online and peppered throughout are these interviews with some different people in, you know, in the music industry. And at one point they have Chris Walla of Death Cab for Cutie talking about it, about like the first time they played it and how it's not, he ends up describing it like it's an album. It's not just a collection of songs where it's kind of this whole cohesive piece. And some CDs are just like, eh, and here's this song. Here's this song. Blah, blah. And like both absolutely have their merit. They have different feels to them. And that's just kind of the idea of like this is a film versus a movie. Like the Born movies are just – you know, movies, entertainment, real easy to access and get into. And it, yeah, there's stuff in certain scenes where it's saying something, but I'm also like, punch him with the book. I want <laughs> I want to see punch him with a book uh, where this movie, it is thoughtful. I couldn't put this on in the background partially because I don't speak Italian, but even if I did, like, I, it wouldn't be a movie just put on the background. It's a movie where you sit down and you watch it and you take it in and then, you know, you discuss it over espresso uh, while wearing a turtleneck, preferably. <laughs> I
1: forgot he punches him with a book in that first movie.
2: <laughs> no, it's the third movie. Oh, it was magazine the magazine okay.
0: punches him with
1: the. Flag. Yeah, he fights a guy with a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those a great movies. Got to return to them. But maybe that's the thing. Is I'm not saying great films. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, isn't it just the lingo of like you don't like a student doesn't say like I'm going to movie school. Um, <laughs> film has a little no, bit I think more we of should. it. <laughs> Film has a little bit more of a connot like an artistic connotation, as pretentious as that might be. I don't know. I hear yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah,
0: it does. But I mean, you know, there's also going to be people who will quibble with you because there's not everything is shot on film anymore. Some of it's on digital. But Whoa. no, I I totally get what you're what you're saying, David. Yeah, this is this is a film. This is. Uh, something they sit down and you absorb and you can talk about it afterwards. And there's all these deep themes you can find in it. You know, if you're Italian, you get much more of the history, you know, there's political history to this film where when Steph was talking about the party, you know, there were these kind of dark pseudo fascist days in Italy, not that long ago where there was an oppressive atmosphere and people were, like, escaping that atmosphere by going to these high society parties. And, you know, there are the people in... Some of the actors in the film are very recognizable. If you live in Italy, you know who they are. You've been to some of the places. It's much more immediate. And I kind of... To me, this... I wonder if it's more of a movie to them since to us there's more of an abstract layer to it
1: interesting that's a good point yeah no that's a good question uh, just anecdotally uh do you think euro trash parties in europe are so like multi-generational
0: i would call it euro trash <laughs> 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 well like these like
1: bombastic high society parties where they only listen to explosive dance music i was just watching it and i'm like okay there's the guy with his shirt off and then there's a je- that
2: couple that's just on the verge of doing it right where they're standing. Right. It's a, it's
1: <laughs> there's a lot of party. people there. Right. There's, there's a child there throwing paint. Like, it's all just, there's a lot of people.
0: That's a different party. That's a
1: different party. <laughs> that
2: right. it rage-induced I love child. That scene.
0: I love that scene of the, the girl with the buckets of paint.
1: Oh, I, just I, I appreciate that, like, that Ramona, you're... in some ways, is, to me, uh, the character that is thrown into the story that the, that the viewer can kind of relate to. Ah, uh, which is odd to say, she's like the out-
2: she's the outsider to these parties,
1: right? Right, which is odd to say, like that, like the stripper slash uh, rich woman who seems to have something wrong with her, but it's not really clear. Uh, she's the most relatable character, but in some ways, she kind of is because they you know, everyone's like, oh yes, golf clap, yes, child throws paint, and she's like, is that kid crying? Yeah, he's yeah. gonna have so many therapy bills later. Um, <laughs> and one thing David put in our docket is the abrupt death of Ramona. And and he he you put in our slack like, oh my god, something happens to this to one character. And I'm like, oh, is it the crazy son? Because right before that scene, they're at the crazy son's funeral, and he just yeah, inexplicably yes. dies. Uh, we see him driving angrily, so we assume it's like a wreck or something like that. Um, he closes
2: his eyes as he's speeding up.
1: Oh, he does? Right. He? Okay. Uh, by the yeah. way, most bizarre scene to me in the movie is when his mom comes home and he's just covered in red paint, completely naked, standing at the end of the yep. hallway like a shining illusion. Like, well, he's
0: clearly quite mentally ill. Right. And mm-hmm. he's not getting right. the help that he needs.
1: Right. And so he dies. And then a couple scenes later, after Jep does become romantic with Ramona in some capacity she just dies like a scene after she, saying that she spends her money on a cure like what to cure yeah, to what she spend, spends her money if, curing herself
0: i have a theory that she has some sort of heart ailment okay because that's the only thing i can think of where she would appear pretty healthy most of the time especially if she's taking medications that are working for her but if Something she was taking stopped working or she had to stop taking it because she couldn't afford the meds anymore. Something sudden could happen to her.
1: And see, I was thinking about that. But then I was I also thought, well, wouldn't her father be aware, likely, if she had maybe some she sort didn't of... tell
0: him? Yeah, they yeah,
2: didn't maybe. seem to really have a super great relationship, which is
1: maybe really a good like thing a when you're watching dad. your daughter stripping and commentating on that industry. <laughs> That scene, it makes me uncomfortable. I think,
0: uh, you know, it's uh, it's Europe. They have fewer hands.
2: Well, but his concern is not that she's stripping, it's that she's stripping at her age. Yes. And she should really consider getting married because, what, is she going to be a stripper her whole life? And she can change her name. He knows it's not a
1: great name. Just change the name if a rich man will marry her.
2: Yeah. And that was such a, a great little small scene after Ramona's very inexplicable death where the father is sitting like at a cafe and someone who's obviously very famous turns over and says, I'm very sorry to hear about your daughter. Uh, And then like the paparazzi come up and take a picture of them. And it was just, it was just this kind of really just like bizarre, very quick scene. But I liked just that like these people's lives are under, like they're constantly being watched and under the microscope. And like, here's the like, Hey, here's a genuine moment, and then we're getting our picture taken because we're sitting here at this cafe. Like, god, all of their lives seem so miserable. (laughs) I don't don't want it. I get like the appeal to like the young Jeff of like I want to be the guy who can make or break a party, but I don't (laughs) want to be 65 being like, well, that was a waste of time.
0: Uh, all right time uh, to go join the conga line or join the dance to the, the, the train yeah there's a uh, there's have a, the best train song that they dance to called mueve la calita which translates depending on how classy you want to be to either um either move your tail or shake your butt uh is that the
1: <laughs> is that the italian that, macarena thing they're doing
0: yeah at the very
2: yes. beginning yeah at the beginning yeah. So we talked a lot about these parties, but I love that they kind of dissected them and, and showed sort of some different sides to them. Like they show that room where there's that one girl who's dancing behind glass, and it's all like mysterious. And then it like cuts into her, and there's no music. Yeah, like she's not dancing to music. She's just like moving <laughs> underneath. Like it feels like it feels so much less glamorous when when that happens, she's or like on when some drug or another. Yeah, or like when the boss like wakes up and everything's like a mess, and she's just like guys. Anyone?
0: Oh, Dadina, Guys? I love her. Dadina is his is Jep's publisher.
2: She also feels like someone who I mean we don't we don't get a lot of time with her, but She, she might pay her phone time.
1: bill. <laughs> right, yeah. she doesn't That's feel like totally... engaging people in this.
2: Yeah. She feels like she's maybe maybe like she worked her right. way up.
1: Yeah. Oh well, I just totally get that vibe from her. A hundred percent. Yeah, she's yeah. a very enjoyable character for me. I like that his interactions with her are just like It's interesting to me because he's in her study, or her office or whatever, and they're just eating, like, reheated soups and noodles and stuff, and it seems like he's, even though it looks like he's, like, there for dinner, it seems like they're both just, like, pre-gaming their preheated soup, (laughs) because then then he says to her, oh, yeah, what are you gonna do tonight? Like, this isn't what she's doing tonight. After they're done with their preheated soup, they're gonna part ways, and she's gonna go do something else. She's a very interesting character to me. I enjoyed her a lot. I enjoyed the actress a lot. I thought she was quite good mm-hmm.
2: yeah the the way that we're introduced to a lot of the characters in that first party are really interesting because again we, we're not given anybody's names for a while and so we meet everyone at this party who we're going to see kind of again and again but we have no context for them it really could have just been anyone at this party that we see then just moves on and you know that that's it but it's like no we're shown them in this context and then shown their everyday lives.
1: I want to go through a couple more discussion topics here uh we we've we're already fifty minutes in this episode, and we've only hit like half of them so we'll <laughs> we'll try to speed through a couple of these but uh one of the Interesting parts of the film for me as a musician is I thought the music was phenomenal. I really enjoyed <laughs> it. The classical pieces that are infused into it are excellent. The one piece that's recurring—forgive me—I don't know the title. It's over the—it's t- over the credits at the end when it's panning across the river. uh yeah. that's a gorgeous piece, and I—I I really, really enjoy that about this film. European dance music aside, because I think that stuff <laughs> is atrociously bad, and frankly, they probably do too. It's just highly danceable. Yes. The music in this movie is really great. And one thing that interested me is that the music seems like it would be more abstract and distant if you are Italian, because it's in English. The pop songs are in English. The song. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. was, I was listening to it and I was able to like pick out the lyrics.
0: Mueve la is in Spanish.
1: No, I'm talking That's... about the like the background songs, like where it says it that way, where it's like uh, my heart's in the highlands
0: oh yeah that one at the very beginning no not at the very beginning near the funeral scene i think
1: yeah like the my Um, my heart's in the highlands or something like that that's in english and then there's also like a pop kind of like a a indie pop song that's kind of like singer-songwritery in the middle that's entirely in english Yeah, there's
0: the the ballad when he goes out to the seaside town to see the wreck of the Costa Concordia.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so there's
0: this beautiful little song uh, with a guitar and two people harmonizing uh, called Everything Trying. Uh, It's by Damien Gerardo. And I, oh, gosh, you know, some of the music in this film is so profound. The, The piece at the end that you hear repeating several times is. I believe that piece that's at the end is also played during the the photograph exhibition. It's played a um, couple of
1: times, yeah.
0: It's beautiful, and the end of the movie. I wasn't sure the first time I saw this. I wasn't sure if it was the movie itself, or the music, or a combination of both. But I'm just sitting there, like tears streaming down my face. Going, I'm not crying. You're crying. You know, it's just. But yeah, I mean, I think the music is wonderful. And I this, believe I do, that is I a piece.
1: Uh, written by the composer for this film it's called la grande Beliza uh colonna that's sonora the, finale the, title of the movie yeah oh wait that's the, title of the movie i'm sorry it's called <laughs> <laughs> dang foreign languages it's called colonna sonora finale yeah. um <laughs> and it's beautiful i really in... oh wait, here we go composer vladimir martinov so, that was a man who is currently 71. So, yeah, that means he probably wrote it for this movie. Cool. Right on. It's it's great music. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then also, there's another thing in this movie that I'm glad Nicole put it in our discussion docket because I don't really know its place. And I know it's like, through this vessel, he can find that beauty is all around him. The, sis, the saint, Sister Maria. First of all, she, she really creeps me out. Maybe it's just really old people, but she bothers me. She, uh, she has like fangs. If it makes better, it's probably someone in just makeup. I know she's seen better days, uh, but she has fangs. I mean, she's all,
0: you know. Because she only has two teeth left.
1: Yeah. yeah. She, but, uh, to, she eats 40 grams of roots every day. which Because is... roots are important, which is the cheesiest metaphor in the movie.
2: Yeah, a little bit. The movie kind of loses some subtlety there. But I th- think an importance of her is that she is a contrast to jepp there is this this line she says where you can't talk about poverty you can only experience it which like how many conversations have they in their social circle probably sat down and had about like oh the plight of the poor man like none of you guys are poor none of you have like have experienced that like she she has lived her in, as far as we know, she's lived probably her entire life in in poverty and service of others. Really, the polar opposite of Jep, and she seems to have this real satisfaction with life. That yeah, like she
0: peace with herself yeah. in her life.
2: Yeah, and like there's that the scene where all these like great religious leaders are coming up to you know to greet her, and, and have their
0: photos taken with her.
2: Yeah, that part was hilarious. She's just standing in one spot and they're just cycling people in and out. But then, you know, for him to have this encounter with her where he had an impact on her and she's curious about him, like it's it's a really interesting interaction and a, a nice little cap off of the film.
0: And that's the scene at the end where she's, you know, she fell asleep on his bedroom floor, just on the wood floor after this dinner that he's hosted for her. And in the morning, he comes out to the porch and she's sitting there and there's all these flamingos on his terrace. You know, they've been migrating west, but they they pause to rest there. And was it, I think the viewer's meant to wonder a little bit if it's the saint who's sort of drawn them there. And that's why they decided to, to rest um, in that spot.
2: And she had that great moment of sort of still childlike fun when she blows and makes them all like fly away and there's just this smile on her face of like even at 104 years old like she's found this little way to really enjoy and experience life
0: oh yeah you know the day before when she's at that reception she's she's sitting on her seat and she's you know sort of gently kicking her feet back and forth like a little girl would sitting in a chair that's too tall for mm-hmm.
1: her Two things about that party I wanted to bring up. The first one is that I like how Jeff's boss comes to him and says, oh, yeah, I organized a dinner party at your home tomorrow night. Uh, Like, that is apparently commonplace to do amongst these these social circles. And then two was it surprised me when she actually had wisdom to give Mm -hmm. as heavy-handed as I kind of thought it was because I thought – My impression of her at the beginning is like, oh, this is a vegetable that this handler, for lack of a better word, is toting around and making money off of. Because this guy speaks for her, and he's incredibly obnoxious. And uh, she can speak. Like, she has good opinions. Fire him. I don't like him.
0: (laughs) I do kind of like him. He's just sort of built this life around you know, serving her who's in service of other people. And- but he also seems so
1: pompous. He seems like the antithesis of what she is supposed to be in some ways.
0: I don't know. I read it as enthusiasm. He's... Pomposity.
1: Yeah, he's genuinely inspired
2: by her and who she is.
1: Okay. Alright. Well... I uh, I found that interesting, because when she's introduced, she doesn't speak for the longest time. And you really, and at yeah. least for me, yeah. You wonder in, if she in can. In the back for Maya, she even can, or if she's just being toted around by, you know, these people. And then a couple other things in our docket that we had discussed. One was uh, the lead's performance. Is it Tony Servilo or Servillo?
0: Uh, Servillo, I think.
1: Servillo. Fantastic, right? Is there anything else anyone wanted to bring about that, as long as we're, we're still on it?
2: I... Yeah, just a real quick mention. There was a scene, also another scene that really resonated with me um, when they are at uh, the funeral for the, the crazy son
0: yeah. and
2: he starts carrying uh, the casket and he mentioned earlier in the scene when they're preparing for the funeral, talking about how funerals are a social event in themselves. He's like, you never cry because you never take the...
0: Upstage the, the family. Yeah,
2: the, the grief of the family, Yeah, like all that sort of stuff. And he starts bawling and because he is for him he's never really i guess contemplated mortality or really faced it and this like just a brief peek behind the curtain that is the insanity of me when i was like between the ages of 10 to 13 i really like for some bizarre reason came to understand mortality and Mm -hmm. i went to a funeral for someone in my class that past and i didn't know him very well but the entire funeral i was just bawling because like it was the culmination of this realization that had been going on inside of me and i was just like watching him I'm like yep i've been there man <laughs> it's a rough rough thing to go through
0: i think it's partly that i think it's he's surprised by this genuine emotion that swept over him so he loses control because he's actually feeling something um you know this this man was very young who they're burying. The reason he's carrying the coffin is because the priest called for his friends to come forward and, and he didn't have any. No one does. And no one does. So the friends of his mother come forward. Right. You know, and I love the little touch where one of them's going up to get him and his wife's like, but you're back.
1: You're back. <laughs> right.
0: But uh, he goes anyway, yeah, and Jeff begins crying and it's, I'm not sure if it's, because he feels something for the young man himself, Andrea, or if he feels something for his mother, Vi- Viola. Or if, you know, my fiancé has a theory that Andrea is actually his son, his and Viola's son. Hmm. Which is, a, you know, a possibility given the lifestyle and, that Jep has been living.
2: And there is a mention of like, oh, I, I could have kids. Like, I had sure. the ability. But right. Yeah, that is interesting. I hadn't thought of it. Very interesting.
1: Uh, there, there's a moment in that in that scene that almost felt. <sighs> Oddly disingenuine to me, though, which is where, it's, it was almost like Frank Underwood-esque for a moment, where, like, the scene before that, he's talking about how you go to the funeral, and you say this, and you maybe right, don't like really mean the protocol. It, but this is what you say, and then, like, the first thing in it is he comes up and he whispers in her ear and says exactly what he said he you have to say, and that seems to be maybe before he's more emotionally connected to the situation, but it was, like, a, it was a weird moment to me, because it felt like he was just playing this social game until he... Finally came to the realization that maybe maybe that was actually sad. Um, but he's, he's a great actor because one of the things yeah. that struck me about uh, Tony Cervillo was that when I'm watching foreign language films, I sometimes struggle to determine who is and isn't a good actor. And I think that's just because as, a, as an English speaker, and I only speak English... I understand drama in my own language. I understand the cadence of English in terms of when we go up and when we go down and how we say things. And there's a cadence to, to different other you know other languages, and, and Italian included, where they say things differently. Then they move a little bit quicker. There's not as much like up and down as like there might be in English um, in terms of your tone. And I struggle sometimes. I know what I'm rounding about to is I struggle sometimes to determine if a foreign actor is good or not. Because I don't understand what they're saying, so I have trouble connecting with the drama that they're trying to perform. Uh, with him, though, I could—I just got it because he's very expressive. As Nicole said at the top mm-hmm. of the show, you know, he'll raise an eyebrow and he'll have a moment of pure joy or pure frustration, and it's very, very evident. Uh, and he just seems like so unendingly suave in like all in his entire performance, and he's just—he's great. I really, really enjoyed him. And I struggle to appreciate that aspect of foreign cinema. So that was good for me.
2: No, that's, yeah, I absolutely agree. He, he did a fantastic job in this movie.
1: And then finally, there are themes of, uh, this is one from Nicole, unexpected moments of grace and beauty, squandering of time, death. These are all things we've talked about in the show. Uh, is there anything you want to touch more on? Uh, per, perhaps unexpected moments of grace and beauty, because... I know uh there are moments in this film like the animal moments where he finally finds that and maybe is starting to find his great beauty.
2: Um no, I will say <laughs> I uh I did like the scene where he kind of showing uh, some some of his jadedness where like that you're talking about the Coliseum is right out his window and he's got like these two people in his room that are about to like have sex for him. And like you, th- you can see like he's hoping like, all right, this is going to be exciting. It's going to be fantastic. It's like, uh, nope, that's not doing it for me. The Colosseum's not doing it for me. Like, I'm surrounded by beautiful things, and I don't
1: care. Yeah, I forgot oh. about that scene. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, I think the only there are two scenes that I really liked that we hadn't talked about and. You know, there's the beautiful scene where he meets Stefano with his case of keys and he and Ramona go through all these beautiful buildings in Rome at night.
2: I love that scene.
0: And that's that's lovely. And there's the scene at the photography exhibit, this outdoor exhibit where a man has his his father took photographs of him every single day of his life and he carried on that tradition after his father passed away. And so there are these thousands of photos of this man, just varying a little day to day, plastered around this beautiful uh, outdoor part of a museum. And it's it's clear that the character, that Jeb finds it moving. And I found it very moving as well. And I'm, I'm struggling to put my finger on it as to why. And I guess it's just that subtle you can, it's, it's almost like you're seeing another person's lived experience. Like you can look at the expression on his face in any given photo and you can identify with that emotion for that day. And just the accumulation of it is you're identifying with every one of these single moments and it's adding up to this feeling of connection uh, with another life of a person who you you really don't know, but it's this sort of common humanity and, and discovering how much common feeling we all have, I think, in connecting to these.
1: How annoyed do you have to be with your dad over X amount of time before you finally are, <laughs> are at a place in your life, perhaps after he's passed, that you realize how amazing this was? Uh,
0: <laughs> right. You, you sort of just give in. Because there's some photos on that
1: wall that he does not seem pleased to have his photo taken. But it is a gorgeous scene.
0: Right. And I think the the last little scene that I liked that we didn't talk about is Jep goes to see... The love of his life was this girl, Elisa, who left him when they were young. And she's the one whose husband came to see him him to let Jep know that Elisa had died. And Jep goes to their house... To ask, you know, Alfredo, the uh, the husband, something. He asks why Elisa left him. Alfredo doesn't know. Jep asks to read her diary, but Alfredo said he threw it away a few days after the funeral. Uh, but then introduces him to his girlfriend, Polina, and asks, you know, what they're going to be doing later. And he said, well, you know, we'll be ironing and maybe watch a little TV and go to bed and. Jeff says, what lovely people you are, you know? And it, I think it really comes from the heart. He's like these, he recognizes that these people have true happiness in their lives and they don't have to go to these elaborate lengths to get it. And that it's just their love for each other that makes, that will make this evening lovely for them.
2: I really love that scene too, yeah. So that was really
1: great. That scene, though, does bring the, bring to question, like, how how long does this movie take place over? Because about oh, an hour, hour before that in the movie, this guy's yeah. crying about his dead wife, and now he has a new one. So it must be a while, right? Hopefully it's not, like, the three days that it seems like.
0: <laughs> I think it's <laughs> at least, I, I would say at least six months, maybe. It's these
1: yeah.
0: vignettes. It's not entirely clear sometimes. Sometimes the scene changes are a little confusing,
1: right? Um, sometimes as it's to days, whether or not Jep's even,
0: yeah, it, it looks. Sometimes it looks like Jep's falling asleep, and you wonder if the next thing we see is a dream or if it's real. Um, but everything eventually gets established as if it's real,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is interesting. It's just there's these beautiful moments where he's staring up at his bedroom ceiling, and he sees the ocean when he looks up. Um, it's this beautiful turquoise sea complete with waves and everything we get one shot of it in the movie where it's just shown to be flat white ceiling but he sees the ocean when he looks up at it
1: Right. final discussion topic here we've already touched on briefly so we'll keep it short is the cinematography of the film it's beautiful Uh, does anyone else have anything else to really say about it no, it's some, it's
2: hard to talk about because it's like, yeah, you, you, it's so visual, you've got to see
1: it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a Baz Lerman film in like kind of a weird way to me, where everything feels like hi- so like, like like it's like heightened senses.
2: I would say this is less masturbatory than a Baz Lerman film. Okay, <laughs> so. okay.
0: Yes. Yes. These, these colors are real. this city is real. It's just photographed under the best possible conditions by a very talented director of photography and i would definitely say that if this sounds like your kind of movie then if it comes to your local art cinema or is a revival somewhere near you i would strongly urge you to see it on the big screen because it's absolutely stunning
1: Very good. Well, we ran a little bit over, but I love the new format of this show in contrast to previous shows we've done, because we can go over if we have a lot to talk about, and we certainly did this evening. Let's go around the horn really quick one time and get some closing thoughts on the film. We'll start with Nicole, the one who brought this film to us.
0: I have to say, at first, when we were talking earlier before the show and Brett was telling me to, you know, prepare, I didn't really... I didn't really dig this film, but I'm happy to talk about it and what I didn't like about it and the merits of it that I did see. And I was just, you know, part of me inside was just, but why? You know, (laughs) (laughs) because I was so kind of bowled over by it when I first saw it. And I saw it twice in the theaters and I watched it again on Sunday. And I just think it's absolutely gorgeous and it gets at so much that I think about in my own life, you know, it's like I work hard in my daily life to see the small, beautiful things because I don't have a lot of grand experiences. I don't do a lot of world travel. I don't go to the most fabulous art shows. I don't know any famous people, but
2: that's rude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I kind of know one, I'll tell you about it off the air, but it's just, I, I work to find the beautiful things in daily life because it'd be so easy to look around the city I work in and just see the concrete and the dirt and feel badly for the people living on the street and see, you know, decay and rats crossing the street and be despairing of it, but there are things that are quite beautiful, you know, and just little, you know, little oh, it's so cliche, but like a little <laughs> like a plant growing out of a crack in the sidewalk. <laughs> or, you know, just a little dog is being walked nearby and just the sweet, disingenuous look they have on their faces. And it's just you know so this movie really spoke to something in me. And it it, it speaks to my own fears and worries about Leading a significant life and about the inevitability of the end, the eventual end, and what sort of connections I want to make with people and how much time I want to spend with doing things that I don't like and finding that balance in life. So, you know, if that's something that you're going through, then I would say that this movie is for you. If you're a film student, I would say this movie's absolutely for you. It's a good one to see with. Oh, I was going to say it's a good one to see with your mom, but there is a lot of nudity in it.
1: <laughs> mom, well, this is not rated for you. Boy, I do... know you're going to call me after you hear this and ask, "Can
0: I see it's classy this?" Classy nudity. It's classy nudity,
1: but it's still going to make you uncomfortable, Mom. So just get that out of the <laughs> way early on.
0: <laughs> a naked woman
2: runs into a pillar. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Who's got the the Russian flag painted on her vulva? <sighs> uh,
2: uh, God, why yes. did we not talk about that scene for half an hour?
1: <laughs> uh, uh, so,
0: so, yeah, I I would recommend it to for most people.
1: Right on. What about you, David? Uh,
2: yeah, this is a, a film for fans of cinema. And it's not going to be for everyone. But I think that there is a lot to say. I think that it is a, a movie that should be should be watched probably with someone else so you have someone kind of to talk about some stuff with it after because i feel like i've gotten a lot more out of this film talking about it here than even like i did kind of in my own thoughts just reflecting upon it it is a a movie that kind of begs to be talked about and i feel like sometimes that it is like such a pretentious thing of like oh really when you get into the dissection nice of it is when it comes alive <laughs> but i, I think don't think
0: that there's that... any shame in loving right. talking about films
2: yeah, it's but it's hard to, it's hard to be like oh man you gotta watch this movie but you gotta like then sit down and like talk about it for 20 minutes after <laughs> but you kind of do for this movie because i think that that it really kind of helps you work through what you saw because like what you saw isn't necessarily bad but it's just like there's a a lot of thoughts that you're going to have about it that you've probably expressed. It's okay to be a little sad. Uh, but yeah, overall, good movie.
1: Absolutely. For me, uh, I appreciate it more having talked about it. Uh, obviously, we are the first time we've gone this long on a show, actually. And I actually don't think I'll cut anything because I thought this was a compelling conversation. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting film. I don't know if I liked it. I mean, I here's the thing. I, I I made it abundantly clear in this episode, and I want listeners to know that I appreciated it. And there are times of, that I was really into what was going on. And then there was just like 30-minute spanses of decadent partying and him wandering around town that just didn't really appeal to me. This is something I'd never watch had Nicole not forced me to watch it. That said, that's why I appreciate it, and that's why I appreciate the show, is because I understand the appreciation and the merit of it, even if it's not necessarily something I could get into myself. And I would recommend it to my film student friends. I would recommend it to people who are into more obscure American art house cinema. This might be something that, you know, this European-type film might be right up your alley. And next week, we're going to be doing, uh, uh, again, we're going to be doing... Our next theme. And our next theme is around the world.
0: So for that, we will be watching 2016's The Handmaiden.
1: But Nicole, what do you have going on? Tell the wonderful listeners.
0: Uh, You can find me on the Movie Go Around Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast. Uh, and if you want, you can follow my personal feed on Twitter. If you don't mind uh, dopey memes and retweeted comedians and a lot of sort of left-leaning political stuff, <laughs> it's at, at your word whiz on Twitter. Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z.
1: Very good. And what about you, David?
2: You can uh, find me around the internet. Under the username Davluz, that is D A V L U Z, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. I am abusing that 280 character limit.
1: (laughs) It's really nice. It's really nice. I just want to throw that out there. Because here's the thing I don't need to go to 280, but sometimes I need just a little bit more. So. Props yeah. to Twitter for that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RiversRubin. That's R-I-V-E-R-S-R-U-B-I-N. And of course, I'm com. That's going to do it for myself, for David and Nicole. We'll see you next week.